0: Talk more talk. Chat more chat. It's a
1: everybody.
2: Hi, 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 and hey, hey, Beetle fans. Welcome to another edition of Talk More Talk, and right now I just want to say how thankful we are that we're actually on the air live. We've had some technical problems the last uh, 20 minutes or so. We want to thank all of our fans, all of our viewers for hanging, you know, sticking with us all this time, and uh, this is the first time this has happened. Every now and then there might be a glitch or a technical problem, but thanks for for sticking with us all this time. I'm Ken Michaels. I'm one of the five regular co-hosts of the show. Our show, Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles videocast, is all about the solo careers of the Beatles. We do this each and every Monday night. No, not every Monday night. Every other Monday night <laughs> and uh, at nine o'clock. And uh, we talk about the solo careers of the Beatles, their music, their history, whatever we feel like. Once in a while, we even slip in conversation about the group. Right now, I would like to introduce to all of you, my esteemed colleagues here on the show. First of all, she is the queen of all Beatles media, but realistically, she's the queen of everything. <laughs> and uh, she is the author of Songs Who Are Singing, Guided Tours Through the Beatles' lesser Known Works, also Michael Jackson FAQ, and that's our very own Kit O'Toole.
0: Good evening to you, Kit. Good evening to you, Ken, and good evening to all of you, and thanks to everybody for hanging in there. Um, boy, Zoom and Facebook don't always like to play nicely together, so that's what we, what we learned tonight, but, uh, but everything is set now, so thank you all for hanging in there with us.
2: Yeah, it's part of the thrill of doing live broadcasting.
0: Yes, it is.
2: Yeah. Also on the show, we have uh, Joe Mayo. You know, Joe, for his own video uh, YouTube channel, covers music, entertainment, TV, film, whatever he feels like, just did a wonderful show a few weeks ago on his top 26 favorite solo McCartney albums. should check out. Hey, Joe, how you doing?
3: Hi, Ken. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. Mm-hmm. Also, we have
2: one of the co-hosts of a solo Paul McCartney podcast called Two Legs, along with Danny Nichols, and uh, the show's getting better and better with every single week when I watch. And that's our own Tom Hunyadi. Hi, Tom. Hey,
4: how you doing, Ken? Good to see you guys. Ken's, we got the Ken's back together. We got Mayo. We got the Queen.
2: We are set to go. That's right. (laughs) We are in solid state here
4: tonight. (laughs) Speaking of solid state
2: oh that's right (laughs) (laughs) ken is saying when are we going to stop the corny stuff here
1: Uh, we are happy
2: to welcome back a man who's written so many beetle books and he's always working on several at the same time we can't keep up with him but he's written a couple of books on uh george martin maximum volume and also um not solid state. Sound pictures. That's right. <laughs> solid state. He wrote recently on the Abbey Road album. He has a book on John Lennon coming out pretty soon. Let's welcome back to the show, Ken Womack. Hi, Ken. Hey
1: Ken. Thank you very much. It's good to be here with my Ken counterpart. <laughs> you
4: can't. <laughs> Will they the be agreeing soon?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Will they be what? Will they be agreeing with the tonight's topic? Oh. Uh, It's possible. You never know with Ken. (laughs) (laughs) He might be playing some mind games with us tonight. Mm -hmm. I don't know. know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I just want to say before we start the show, we had planned on having Chip Manninger and Mark Easter as our guests. They are the authors of the incredible uh, solo Beatle book, uh, chronology, discography, everything through the year 2000. Uh, called Eight Arms to Hold You, but they had to cancel for tonight, but we are going to have them on the show sometime soon. So, uh, you know, don't worry, they will be here. It's the perfect show for them. It's the ultimate solo Beatle book, which mm-hmm. covers everything that the solo Beatles did through the first uh, three decades. Tom's held it up right there. So um, yeah, Chip and Mark will be here in a future show. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about this particular album released in 1973, The Greatest Year in Beatle History. Partly Plus because.
3: I was born. Was,
2: that's right. That's the, that's the <laughs> biggest reason, yes. You were born. In solo in,
3: Beatle History. Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> hey, to, me, to me, it might be Beatle History. <laughs> But we'll talk about the Mind Games album, where our thoughts are about it, uh, what our favorite songs are, um, how it ranks amongst uh, the albums in John's catalog.
0: And we want to hear uh, from you, too.
2: That's we have, right. We want to hear well, your favorites. Please write in with your comments. But as always, uh, we have a bunch of Beatle news to get to. And then we'll go right into Mind Games. First of all, according to uh, the Nielsen Music Midyear Report, the Beatles and the Korean pop band BTS are the only two acts to sell one million album units so far in 2020. Half a century. Wait, who was the other band? I'm sorry. Who was the other band? BTS. Who? <laughs> <laughs> BTS. <laughs> I'll admit it. Half your collection behind you is them. Yeah. <laughs> it's all covered oh, up. Oh, their Other take...
4: albums are gonna go in my frames next. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, uh, let's see. The Beatles sold almost 1.1 million album equivalent units. They had the fifth best-selling vinyl album, with that Ab- with uh, Abbey Road selling 54,000 copies. And the Beatles nice. also performed extremely well on streaming services, with many songs racking up hundreds of millions of plays. Nice. Which is beyond amazing, you know, for a band that hasn't been together for 50-plus years. Um, you know, they're the biggest band going right now. Also on July the 17th, we saw the premiere of the remastered video for Beautiful Night, along with the release of the EP for the song, which recreates the original 1997 maxi single with a 1995 demo for the song, an alternate run-through recording, an Ubu-Jubu part five, a medley of Beautiful Night-themed chat, alternate mixes, and interview recordings of Paul and Ringo speaking about the song. And of course, the big box set for Flaming Pie officially comes out this Friday. As we notice oh, Ken Ken already has yep. it. <laughs> How <laughs> can many times is that
0: make? <laughs> <laughs> oh my. That's the, the big That's the, the big
4: kahuna right
3: yeah. there. Is As that you can the... see,
4: you could probably fit Ken Womack in the box.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is probably the heaviest box set of all the archival box sets, I would guess.
0: Am I, would I right?
1: imagine, and no, <laughs> you can't handle. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. all
4: right. Amazing well, box. Pretty... I mean, it definitely puts things in perspective with the cost. I mean, that you know, and then you know, with. Um, yeah, grab it right here. This is, you know, this is just a, the regular size box set right here, and then that's that's covering half of his body, you know. So it kind of puts things in perspective. You know? So pretty amazing. It does.
0: <laughs> have you had time to dig into it yet, Ken, or did you just just get it? Or
1: I have listened to the whole shebang.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I, I honestly, I listened to the streams that were provided for
2: me. I. Didn't... <laughs>
1: I can't lift this. I, you
2: know. <laughs> well, we are hoping in our next show, provided we all get the box set in time, that we'll be doing our review, which is what we're planning two yes. weeks from today. Yes. So it all depends upon the mail service and yep. when it gets to us. But uh, hopefully we'll have several days to uh, digest this
3: uh, God,
0: Look thing. at the size of that. <laughs> look at that.
3: It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a week or two just to open that.
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, wow. I bet many of our viewers are a bit envious of you, Ken. Well, <sighs> no, more news herniated. here about Flaming Pie.
1: Good. The herniated discs I have are not to be envied. <laughs> <laughs> the knees, Ken. The knees. Yep.
0: Oh,
2: damn it. <laughs> Don't you know that? That's how to exercise.
0: So, uh, one viewer writes, thank God Ken, Paul can eat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that box set will
1: buy a lot of veggies. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> also good.
2: concerning Flaming Pie, Paul's website has been making a few recordings available for download, including the early 1986 version of Beautiful Night, which is part of the UbuJubu Part 5 bonus track only from what I understand, what they have on the website is in its entirety, and it's not that way on the Ubu Jubu segment. Okay. So I've been told, and um, some days has been made available on the website without the orchestration. Right. And that won't be in the box set.
4: Which okay. I find very annoying. Yes. Yeah, all this so. money that that all those songs should be there.
2: Hmm. yeah Indeed. well at least it's free you know you could just download it yeah
1: by the way just like air. <laughs> this entire video podcast has been made it worth while every time Ken says Ubu <laughs> <laughs> it's,
2: just, it's a thing of beauty yep <laughs> Come on, Ken. I might be saying uh, it quite frequently in our flaming pie show
0: Yes. <laughs> so get ready
2: Also upon the passing of civil rights leader, John Lewis, Paul McCartney issued a statement online. He said, sad to hear the news that civil rights legend, John Lewis died yesterday. He was such a great leader who fought with honesty and bravery for civil rights in America. Long may his memory remain in our hearts. How about renaming the famous Pettus Bridge that he and Martin Luther King Jr. and others walked across in the 60s for the civil rights movement and rename it the John Lewis Bridge. Nancy and I are proud to support the NAACP and have recently donated to their legal defense fund." Very nice from Paul McCartney to issue that Mm -hmm. statement right after John Lewis's passing. On July the 13th, Australian TV broadcast footage from the Beatles' 1964 concert at Melbourne's Festival Hall. The special was called, "'One Night Only, The Beatles in Oz.'" Now, the Beatles performed three nights in a row at this venue, each night giving two concerts. This special was from the last show on that last night, June 17th, 1964, and on July 1st that year, in 64, this concert was broadcast on Australia's uh, Channel 9, and the special was called The Beatles Sing for Shell, because the Shell Oil Company sponsored that broadcast. On this original broadcast, the one that just aired, oh no, on the original broadcast, the Beatles performed nine out of 10 songs, leaving out this boy. But on the special that we just, uh, that they just aired, the footage was remastered, including short clips of the opening acts for the show, and then seven songs the Beatles did that night. So it was missing two songs from the original broadcast, three in total. Unfortunately, there's some narration talking over the beginning Of I saw her standing there, and the narration for this special gets in the way a few times. But the picture quality, I have to say, is excellent. There are a lot of close-up shots of the Beatles, and you really get to hear the vocals and their harmony parts. Currently, this happens to be on YouTube. I can't say how long it will remain there. (laughs) Uh, Just look up the Beatles live at the Festival Hall, Melbourne, Australia, HD. Okay, any of you guys see this yet?
3: Oh, yes, yeah, and you yeah, get and to yeah. see John do You Can't Do That. So I always, mm-hmm. always like that version.
2: Yeah, okay. It's really good. I love the close up shots. They're so clear of them on stage and just hearing the vocals so clear. That was a real treat. The New York City company called Theater Within, who every year since John Lennon's passing, has put on Lennon tribute concerts around the December 8th anniversary, will start their acoustic Lennon mini concert series with some of their favorite artists performing a four song set of John Lennon or mostly John Lennon penned Beatles songs. And that begins this Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern when the group The Kennedys will do their Lennon set. You can go to theaterwithin.org, theater with R-E at the end, theaterwithin.org to watch these mini concerts. Next Monday night, Access TV. This is on August the 3rd, Monday night. They will have a music special called At Home and Social with Nuno Bettencourt and Friends. Betancourt first gained attention as the lead guitarist in the band Extreme, and they'll be joined by an impressive roster of friends and artists, including Julia Lennon who together with Nuno will perform Radiohead song, Karma Police. Nice.
0: Interesting.
2: Other artists on the special include Nancy Wilson from Heart, Steve Vai, and a surprise appearance from Brian May. Again, well, it's not that's a surprise text, uh... anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Pretend I didn't say it then. Okay. <laughs> and with special thanks to one of our listeners, Tom Brennan, we learned on July 15th that Michael Lanning, a former member of the Dark Horse Records band Jiva, performed an acoustic guitar five song music set on his Facebook page. Three of the songs came from Jeeva's Dark Horse album. The songs were Something's Going On Inside, comma, L.A., then, hey, brother, and love is a treasure. When asked if the Harrison estate was going to reissue Jiva's Dark Horse album, Michael said, they've done nothing to reissue them, the, the uh, Jiva songs. It really is rather frustrating. I've reached out to them several times. And I mean Linda Arias and Olivia to no avail. Okay. some people follow the Dark Horse artists just like the Apple artists here on this show. My camera's moving as we speak. I'll have to move to adjust to
3: it. <laughs> Anything can happen tonight live. That's right.
0: All bets are off.
3: Boo-boo-joo-boo. This is it. You see, um,
2: <laughs> it all comes down to that radio series when you, when you get there. <laughs> A set list from the Beatles has turned up online. Dated January 17th, 1963. The list includes 19 songs planned with three of them left empty as if they hadn't decided yet which songs to fill. Interesting list is George, George Harrison has many lead vocals and Paul has just a few. One interesting song mentioned is Hey Good Lookin' sung by George. Mm. This is for their performance at the Majestic Ballroom in Birkenhead. Now, while it's not new news, it is news that you might not even be aware of for something that happened this year. There is a band from Italy they're called Pinguini Tatici Nucleari, which translated means tactical nuclear penguins. And they released a song this year, which was called Ringo Star, which they performed early this year at the San Remo Festival, obviously before the pandemic hit. And the song proved to be extremely popular in Italy, enough to become a number three hit over there all the words are sung in italian except for the name ringo star so if we have anyone that knows italian i'd love the translation <laughs> feed it to us if you can uh you can check out the song on youtube there's an official video for the song pinguini Tatici nucleari you know i've
4: been told don't know how true this is that italy has the most beatles covers groups any from anywhere in the country
2: that's interesting how do you even look that up? How would you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can you Google that?
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, man.
2: Also, thanks to Dylan Seavey, your friend there, Tom, who helps you out with two legs. There's Here's a brand my new boy. cover. Yes. There's a cover version of the wing song Arrow Through Me from Amoni yes. yeah. Wilkins, which you should check out on YouTube. She does a great job on that. Fun
4: experience. video as well.
0: Mm-hmm. It
2: is. Yeah. All right. Um, we have three major passings of note to talk about. First is Regis Philbin, who of course was a mainstay on American television for decades with his talk shows with Kathy Lee Gifford and Kelly Rippa, and Regis dating back to his years on the Joey Bishop show, uh, where he was his sidekick. Redis had Ringo on his show with Kathy Lee on July 3rd, 1998, to promote his latest album at the time, which was Vertical Man. And Redis reminded Ringo that he interviewed him back in 1964 for one of the shows Redis was involved in for Westinghouse. Wow. Ringo didn't remember it.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> um, died. You don't say.
2: <laughs> Redis passed away last Friday. That was one month shy of turning 89. Then there's Peter Green, co-founder of the legendary Fleetwood Mac, a great guitar player known for the band's early hits like Oh Well, having written Black Magic Woman, which of course was a big hit for Santana. And there was a song that was a big influence on the Beatles Mm -hmm. called Albatross. Now, this was uh, an instrumental that came out in November of 1968, and it was the number one hit in the UK. And Peter wrote the song. George Harrison once said that the Beatles borrowed that very dreamy sound on the record, very ethereal, and they used it on their recording of Sun King. So if and you've never heard Albatross, and I played these back-to-back on my show, Every Little Thing.
3: It broke but, my heart. I heard it recently, and I'm, I mean, not before this happened, and I'm like, oh, the day I heard that, I'm like, oh, there goes hmm. Sun King. Well, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I uh, I heard it tonight. About two hours ago, we were in a uh, a kind of natural food store about half a mile from here, all masked up, of course, and there it was playing on wow. the air. It was oh, beautiful wow. here. Oh
0: yeah. wow! That is nice that to is. hear in
2: a place like that. You wouldn't expect it, mm-hmm. you know, especially because it was a you know a hit over in the UK and not a hit here. Cool. Yeah. And uh, also there is a Fleetwood Mac Beatles connection because um, of Jenny Boyd, Patty's sister. Um, She was married to Mick Fleetwood. So uh, for a time, George Harrison was Mick Fleetwood's brother-in-law.
1: Those must have been some interesting holiday dinners.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And lately we saw Olivia uh, with the, Right Bec- on the ringo. Exactly, we yes, we, we did. did. With, with, yeah. With, with, yeah. That's
0: right. That was yeah, kind I of. I forgot about that. Yeah.
4: <laughs> talk about a ubu jubu.
2: <laughs> 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 so Peter Green died on Saturday, and he was seventy-three. And then finally, there's, I still can't believe I'm saying this. Emmett Rhodes. Uh, before we talk about Emmett, I just want to let everyone know how I discovered his music. Um, after I started my Beatles show on college radio, the first uh, station where I got my big break was at WDHA in New Jersey, where it ran from 1983 to 1993. And I always had thematic sets for the last hour of the show. And I came upon this idea to do Beatlesque music, meaning artists, whether they're solo artists or bands, where you could hear a Beatles influence. Aside from the obvious, like Badfinger and The Raspberry right. and ELO. And I asked my listeners to send me tapes of artists that they felt you can definitely hear a Beatles influence. And I got a decent amount of then cassette tapes. And um, quite a few of them had Emmett Rhodes on those tapes. So I really discovered his music uh, through my listeners. Also, to be fair about it, around that time, Beatle Fan Magazine did an article on Beatles music. It might have been because of that that I came up with this idea. I'm not quite sure. It was a long time ago. But um, anyway, I got to hear Emmett Rhodes music and I was so impressed. And then I tried to look for his albums, which were out of print, so I bought them used.
0: Yeah. And I got very
2: hooked on the Emmett Rhodes album, his first real solo album from 1970, which looks like this. It's a beautiful thing. Yep. And um, what can I say about him? He was, he was really an extremely talented guy. Uh, there was a lot of talk about him because when he put out this solo album, he had been in previous bands before, but um, when he put out this album in December of 1970, it was, many of the songs sounded like Paul McCartney, very McCartney-esque, melodically arrangement-wise, what he played on the piano, the guitar playing, there, a lot of it was something you could hear Paul put into his music. To be fair, not all of his music was like that. It was quite different. It's not like you'd automatically say he was you know, a McCartney sound-alike. You have to really study all of his music. But he also played all the instruments on that album. And, and in fact, the two albums that followed on ABC Dunhill and um, so there were constant comparisons made his his album did really well it actually went as far as number 29 which is a a decent showing for an artist's first album he got a lot of attention got airplay and college radio I didn't know anything about him like I said until I started doing my radio show right. but um, he released three albums on ABC Dunhill and then after that Nobody heard from him. And that was part of the fascination, the mystery, whatever happened to Emmett Rhodes. And what eventually happened was, well, he did work in the music industry at Electra Records as a producer. He also put out a few singles in 2010 that got removed quickly off the market. And in 2016, he released what was his final album, which was produced by a, a guy named Chris Price, who's a really great singer-songwriter, puts out a a lot of very melodic pop. And, um, you know, anyone who studied Emmett Rhodes, and he has a very loyal, hardcore following, will say what a talent this guy was, and Mm -hmm. he really should have been bigger than he was. And so I'd like to know amongst the rest of you how many of you have listened to his music and are familiar with it. I
4: I discovered... uh... Emmett from the 2001 movie *The Royal Tenenbaums*. Mm. Um, they used the the song "Lullaby." Um, so after that, I then found a used uh, copy of of that album, the Emmett Rhodes album that that you uh, showed. Was never able to find the rest of his material, and um, I I really enjoyed it. You know, looking back at it now, yes, musically he's very McCartney. But you know, listening to it, you know, uh, earlier today and then. After spending a lot of time with the McGear album, he sounds a lot like Mike McGear in, in my in my opinion. If you listen to songs like "Leave It," and then you listen to songs a, a few of the songs from from the Road*, they got this, some some similarities there. So, I, mm. um, but I, I I really enjoy his stuff. I enjoy that sound. I'm not always a big fan of musicians that are Beatlesque or McCartney-esque or anything like that. But but his his lyrics really really hit me, and um, I'm definitely gonna. You know, try to seek out his other um, his other albums, probably have to listen to it on YouTube until I can find used copies, but it's very impressive stuff, good stuff.
2: Yeah. I don't think it was his intention to be McCartney-esque. I think that's just, okay. you know, the songs that he was writing at the time. And it just so happens that he put out this album where he played all the instruments mm-hmm. the same year that Paul put out his first album playing right. all the instruments. So there were constant comparisons made. Ken, you're familiar with this work, right?
1: I am, and, and I, I, I think it's impossible not to say that he's McCartney-esque. Um, he's not derivative, though, which is what's very interesting about him. He's not, mm. you know, there's so many sort of British invasion sound-alikes that we hear. Mm. Even in incidental music, right, for television and film, it's kind of profuse. But he, he is not a sound-alike, uh, you know, even though he does very clearly um, have similarities to Paul's voice, even songwriting style and performance. Mm-hmm. All of those, those things are true, but he he transcends that comparison. His songs stand alone, particularly on the one album that you referenced, I think is being quite good and quite unique. Uh, and uh, we're going to be talking about the early 1970s, of course, in just a few moments. And Um, I think it's not surprising uh, that a lot of folks who were very talented were unable to um, eclipse that period. The competition was so fierce, you know, Mm. back at it, not just with the solo Beatles or the Beatles, whom they were competing with for a time uh, during that period, their own band, but you know the competition was absolutely fierce particularly in the singer songwriter marketplace yes. mm-hmm. yep. uh, but it's still as you said there's a kind of mystique to his story because he all but disappears after having such incredible promise and and not half baked promise either you know i i hope our listeners will go to their fam- favorite streaming platform after our show and uh right. and check him out he really is worth it and i was turned on to him uh about I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, by a physicist uh, who said, huh. um, who also from New Jersey, who said, "You've got to hear this guy." Uh, so, for all we know, Ken, he probably heard him on your show.
2: It's possible. I'd be honored if he did. <laughs> by the way, a little bit of of his history. Um, he he had some bad luck with his record company, with ABC Dunhill. Um, he signed a contract, which I believe was really his friend, who was kind of like his manager who ran his publishing, told him to sign a contract which amounted to six albums in three years. Which is really tough to do. You know, it's one thing if you're the Beatles and you've got three songwriters in your band and you've got a great producer and a lot of really good engineers to work with and you can also cover songs in the early part of your career. Emmett Rhodes did everything himself. He wrote all the songs himself. He played all the instruments himself. And he was a perfectionist. And it was really difficult for him to do this. They wanted an album every six months. So um, I think that because his albums didn't sell very well and he had a problem with ABC Dunhill, who sued him, I don't Mm -hmm. really know what the outcome was of the lawsuit. But I don't think he ever fully recovered from that. And that's kind of why he dropped out of sight. You know, in the public eye, kid. You wanted to say something?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I had, I had heard of Emmett Rhodes uh, over the years, and, and shame on me, I, I hadn't really delved into his catalog, and, and so uh, over the weekend, I listened to um, his debut, and, um, and, and as I said, shame on me because what, uh, what a wonderful record that is. Um, you know, you can really tell. Uh, what a special talent he was, and and I hate to use this this cliche, but he, he really he was clearly a musician 's musician' a singer 's singer you know mm-hmm. that he obviously had that that respect among his peers um, and uh, i I was just blown away uh, by this and yes, and, and Ken, just as you said. He's definitely McCartney-esque. I mean, he's, his melodies uh, and and uh, even his singing style, absolutely, but not derivative. Uh, I mean, that is so important to, to distinguish because, yeah, he he's not just copying uh, Paul. I mean, he had his own sound, his own kind of uh, lyricism. I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and uh, I definitely plan on on looking into his his other albums. And it's just a shame that he had those, you know, fights with his record company that, you know, he couldn't have put out more albums.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: let's underscore that for a moment. What a strange contract, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you think about it, uh, that's almost interesting in itself to understand why someone would create a deal like that. And perhaps it was just because of the obvious promise that Emmett had uh, Wasn't dude, it really a rare
4: thing though. I mean, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, they're putting out two albums a year for the first couple of years. Elton John was releasing two albums true. a year for the first couple of years. So I don't think it was like a real
1: rare thing. No, but but what what's different <laughs> among all of these Emmett Rhodes right. is not any of those artists. And, yeah, uh, one guy. Yep, and and, and it could have been, you know, purely a matter of the extraordinary promise that he had you know, that someone would extend a deal like that to him. Mm. You are right. It was a different business for sure. But Mm. um, wow, that's, uh, I'd love to know more about that. And and you know what? I'm glad you brought him up tonight, Ken, because um, while he was obviously influenced and uh, motivated by some love for the Beatles at some level, uh, Emmett Rhodes has, since I I had that moment with the physicist so many years ago, he, he feels like he's part of the solo Beatles story. So I, I'm glad you mentioned him on Talk More Talk.
2: Because mm-hmm. okay. he
1: in a way. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I, I often wonder why he wasn't bigger, more successful. Yeah. And it either comes down to lack of promotion from the record company. And sometimes, as much as I hate to admit it, whenever you're compared to the Beatles or one of the Beatles, it's like the kiss of death. Because nothing can ever live up to that. So I don't know if that was a factor, you know, because at the time, you know, I didn't know anything about Emmett Rhodes. I don't know what was said other than what I read about him and read about him since. So um, yeah, and by the way, uh, the album that was made in 2016, Rainbow Ends, had a lot of people who were big admirers of him on the record, Susanna Hoffs at the Bangles. And in the Bangles, she covered the song Live which was a song that, um, that Emmett did in his previous band, uh, The Merry-Go-Round, and uh, Amy Mann's on it, a few guys from Jellyfish are on it, and Chris Price, like I said, did a really good job producing that album. It's really sad. you know. It's mm-hmm. one of the, the, the tragic stories, one of the many in uh, the music industry. I just want to make mention of a couple of things here. If you're interested in learning more about Uh, Emmett there's a wonderful interview that took place in January of 2010 and it was on the radio station WFMU in New Jersey it was done by Michael Shelley who is still there at the radio station and it runs a little less than an hour and uh, Emmett is just very forthcoming he tells you a lot about his life all the all the problems that he had and it's it's sometimes kind of rough to listen to kind of warning you about that. But if you can, check it out because it's on YouTube, okay? It's an interview with uh, Emmett uh, on WFMU. And um, (laughs) another thing, you know, there's so many things you can find on YouTube, but the merry-go-round, the band that he was in, was actually on the dating game. I'm not (laughs) kidding. They performed as a four-piece unit. They did a medley of their songs, and then three of the four of them were actually contestants. They were bachelors, and and Emmett Rhodes is one of them. You oh, can check no. that out too. That's also on YouTube. It's a lot of a lot of stuff you can find on YouTube, especially on the dating game with people who became famous later on who were just getting famous at the time. Like oh, Steve Martin funny. is is was uh Oh yeah. Was a oh yes, one, so I've so. seen that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh too funny. So
2: that's it for the news for now. Before we talk about mind games, we have a few things we have to say about the virtual fest for Beatle fans. And uh Kit, you wanna take it away?
0: Uh, sure, just quickly. Uh, the <laughs> uh, Yes, as I'm sure many of you uh, have heard, uh, the uh, of course, the Fest for Beatles fans uh, that was to take place in uh, Chicago and uh, Rosemont uh, specifically had to be canceled this year because of the pandemic, but they are having a virtual fest instead. It's going to be uh, 7th through the 9th, and uh, it's uh, going to be, um, of course, all on Zoom uh, and similar, somewhat similar to the last time back in March, but much bigger. I mean, much bigger. They're going to have a lot of uh, guests, uh, you know, Mary, oh gosh, Mary Wilson, uh, Mark right. Lewison, Donovan. Um, right. Lawrence Juber, um, I mean you, uh, um, uh, Ken Womack down at, actually <laughs> down here, <laughs> and many many more, um, and so it's it's going to be really uh, quite quite a weekend and. We are going to be there. We are going to have uh, a panel. Uh, we don't know what uh, what day or time yet. They're still working out the schedule. Um, and also, a lot of your other favorite shows will be there, Two Legs, Things We Said Today. Um, and uh, it's, it's going to be quite the event. So uh, you can go to the Fest for Beatles fans uh, Facebook page and find out all the information. It's $44 for all three days that get you into all the events and uh, and it's it's as I said going to be quite the weekend I know not as good as in person we all are going to miss that hopefully next year everything will be back to normal but this year you know, this is the next best thing. So, uh, so we hope to, to uh, you know, see you all <laughs> over, mm-hmm. uh, over the uh, uh, August 7th through the 9th. Uh, we've got a really great panel planned, and uh, so we really look forward to it. Just uh, keep, uh, keep an eye on our Facebook page. Hopefully, um, you know, we'll, we'll have details very soon as to the precise date and time of our panel.
2: Yeah, we'll all be sharing it on our Facebook page. You bet. And there's, there's, you know, so many guests like the ones you mentioned, but I just want to mention Frida Kelly Mm
0: -hmm. as
2: well. Uh, Peter Asher, Jeremy Clyde. Um, Did I say Steve (laughs) Holly?
0: Yep. Yeah. Okay. So there's a
2: lot of really great people. Billy J. Kramer. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, action packed for that weekend. For sure. All right. So let's get to our main conversation which is all about John's Mind Games album, which came out in the United States on October 29th of 1973, November 16th in the UK, peaked at number nine, wouldn't you just know it? Of course. On the US charts, number 13 in the UK. This album was recorded at uh, Record Plant Studios in New York City in the summer of 1973. It actually was recorded at the start of John and Yoko's Marital Problems, and uh the, and ongoing... at the same
4: time she was uh, recording filling, filling the space the space
2: yep. that's right at the same time john also had his immigration battles yep. with the u.s government this was the follow-up to the politically charged sometime in new york city album which came out in june of 1972 Mind Games was recorded in July and August and mixed in a two-week period. Some of the musicians on the album included Jim Keltner, David Spinoza, Gordon Edwards, Ken Asher, Arthur Jenkins, and Michael Precker. And so let's just start by asking all four of you, you know, in all these years, what your thoughts are on this album. Is it a favorite of yours amongst John's? And how would you also rate it amongst his his other albums? Let's just talk about some of the songs that you like most of all from the album. And uh, let's start with you, Ken.
1: Sure. Um, well, I, I alluded to where I, how I think about this record earlier. It's uh, such a complicated period. The competition was enormous. Um, you know, you yourself have said that it's one of the greatest years, 1973, for Beatles solo work. It is. Um, you know, it's a, a particularly at Ringo, obviously it's his finest hour in a lot of ways. Um, you know, McCartney has that amazing, uh, you know, beginnings of a serious comeback that he begins with Red Rose Speedway and cements at the end of the year. George is still flying high. It's, uh, it's a wonderful period. And of course, you also have the Beatles with the Red and the Blue albums, mm-hmm. which are just eating up a lot of units uh, during that period and the singer-songwriter movements in, in uh, you know, still in, in, uh, in high sunset, <laughs> uh, it's wonderful. You also have, uh, you know, that great 70s rock sound being churned out by many, many artists. So it's a, it's a challenging, very com- com- competitive year. Um, I don't think it's John Lennon's best album by any stretch. Uh, it's, it's not his worst, and it's many steps uh, forward after some time in New York City. Um, you know, the, um, the important political and cultural arguments he makes on that record and Yoko makes on that record notwithstanding, it's a, it's a big step up. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, both of those records, though, pale uh, in comparison to, say, Imagine or Plastic Ono Band. Um, this is a great flowering uh, period of output for John. Um, Walls and Bridges is just around the corner, and some of the uh, sort of the flaws that we'll hear on on Mind Games are sort of polished away uh, as he brings home that record. Um, you know, for many years I simply loved the title track, which is a is a great tune, right? Mm-hmm. By, you know, by any measure. Um, but for me now, it's uh, it's uh, Bring On the Lucy. I just adore that song, and. Okay. Um, I adore the lyrics, which are John being playful, but serious. The musicianship is is just pure fun. Okay. Um, Even though he's being very serious about serious political topics, it's just one of those songs that uh, when I hear it, it makes me happy. And I think of that period and of him. uh, And and you can almost hear and see that band in the studio when you listen to that track. Um, It just has a kind of whimsy to it, even though, again, um, he is thinking deeply about peace, his own situation, obviously, with the immigration fight, which has just been turned up several notches uh, since the Nixon re-election. Um, so the album, you know, it's, uh, th- there are a lot of gems on it, but it's not perfect. But you know what, that's okay, um, <laughs> right? I mean, Imagine is a beautiful record uh, and, and a superior record. But it still has, I don't want to be a soldier, even though it has a wonderful metaphor and meaning to it, you know, is, it's hard to call that a classic. So, at times, the solo Beatles suffer from their own profundity, right? I mean, you know, they have a, a lot of material. It, it was, George Harrison said it so well. Um, in the anthology, you know, there's just all of these songs mm-hmm. you know, and, and we got to get out all the yep. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's, uh, you know, John is, um, he's trying to do that. He's trying to churn them out. And it's, uh, um, you know, it's, the, he and McCartney are these kinds of unstoppable forces during this period. Harrison too. Um, they're just not working together to deliver those goods. Uh, but I, I love I love bring on the Lucy. Free to people now, Ken. Free to people. <laughs> I mean,
2: well, you know um, what were the flaws since you since you brought that up with Mind Games because uh, um, eventually I'll tell you my feelings about it, which are very different from yours. But
1: right, and and I you know I'm not I'm not panning this record by any means. Mm. Uh, I bought it as soon as I had saved up enough allowance to own it,
0: <laughs> so mm.
1: um, and have had never had any regrets. It it has, um, you know, just to speak generally, it has this, at times it feels very produced and at other times it feels raw. And so what it ends up having, if we think of an album as a text, as a collection, right? And I know that, that, let's face it, in 2020, not everybody sees the album as a collection. They're really vehicles for a series of songs for some artists. Uh, but I think it's safe to say among the five of us that we see albums as as collections. Um, you know, Kit can tell you from her graduate work that a text is any coherent set of signs. Um, and and what— uh, I'm Getting bad uh,
0: flashbacks, Kit. Yeah, yeah.
1: But, uh, don't worry. Put on some more lipstick. It'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> jubu Boo, <Jubu>, kitten. <laughs>
0: kitten.
1: Um, Uh, So, the issue for me with mind games is the issue for a a lot of the solo Beatles records during this period. They don't have that kind of current, that that kind of coherency, that flow from beginning to end that, frankly, we became spoiled uh, with by the Beatles, uh, who were able to uh, imagine, um, you know, these incredible sequences and, um, and and the manner in which one great song would comment on the previous great song, right? I mean, Brian Wilson said it after he heard Rubber Soul, you know, wow, there's no filler. <laughs> mm. um, you know, so it does have the feeling of, of not being as coherent uh, as some of his other records. Um, but, I, you know, I think when we look back on that, in 2020, I don't know how bad a thing it is. I mean, not every record is going to be Dark Side of the Moon, which has, to my mind, incredible coherency, right? Mm-hmm. It's very uh, sustained structure. But, you know, uh, any record that has four or five great songs is worth my allowance. Okay, well... In 1973.
2: <laughs> in my opinion, this this album definitely does have four or five great songs, probably even more than that. But when you're used to hearing an album over and over again and you're used to the sequencing you can you know accept the flow of it you know i don't really see a lack of consistency in this album but i'll talk about that more when when we get to me Mm. uh how about you tom
4: uh thanks ken well i I kind of agree with, with with womack a little bit about the flow of it but i mean i can forgive that um <clears throat> Excuse me. I discovered this. I, I mo- heard most of the tracks on that uh, four CD John Lennon box set that came out back in uh, 1990, I believe it was. Um, so it wasn't until 2002 when this was released, when I got the feel for the whole album. And uh, even though there's some complaints about this, which, you know, I, I, I get it. That's um, fine. But um, what, what that's complaints? When I really what well, complaints? Just
3: the way it was mixed. Oh, the mix. OK.
4: Yeah, the mix. Um, but I mean, uh, there are
3: good things about that mix.
4: Yeah, but there's complaints too. But that's neither here nor there. But um, for me, I, I really enjoy this album. I don't see, you know, I know a lot of people consider this like a middle of the road John lyrically, but musically, I, I think this is one of his best albums. He's got some of the great, some great musicians on this album, like Keltner, Spinoza. Um, Gordon Edwards, I I wasn't really familiar with that name. Listen to that bass throughout that whole album. My God, yes. unbelievable! Mm.
2: Especially think. especially on I know I know. Yes. 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 And really then accents I've only, that song. You know,
4: yes. Awesome. And mm. I've said many times on this show that I'm a big fan of the pedal steel guitar, and Sneaky Pete is just plays some amazing steel uh, pedal guitar on this on mm. this album uh, throughout, which I'll point out when I get to some of the songs that I like. But I've never, I never thought of it as a, like a lesser, re- an album, really, because maybe I just came into it later than, than maybe some of you did, and um, I didn't, I didn't get to follow that. I listened to these albums differently than than a lot of people did because I didn't do it in order. I mean, I didn't hear Plastic Ono Band first. I didn't hear right. Imagine next. You know, it was, all, it was all mixed up, and plus. You know, being a box set guy back then, that's how I was listening to a lot of my music. Was just the box sets, where it was just compilations of of songs, not necessarily all in order at that either. So, but being that, I was, I'm glad that uh, you know I finally did get the get this uh, 2002 remix and remaster. Um, hold on one second. Looks like I oh, camera. We've lost your yep. the- yeah. <laughs> camera we can hear oh, you well anyways it, this just what happened to me last night anyways but as long as you can hear me that's
2: fine yep we can but, hear you um
4: oh you're yeah, back oh, you're
2: back <laughs> yeah
4: but i think it's also important to point out that lennon produced this by himself for the first time this is uh you know so i think you can imagine there was might be some uh inconsisten- or inconsistencies with this album just because you know he's on his own he might not uh might be more than what he can he might be fighting off more than what he can chew especially what you pointed out Womack with a lot of things that he's going on with his personal life um, but there's a lot of Johns on this album you get like a reflective John without the blue you get like an apologetic John with um, Asu my son, uh, I you know, son. You, yeah. Thank you. You get a positive John with Mind Games or positive outlook. You get a, a dependent John with uh, One Day at a Time uh, with that song. You kind of get a sense of how dependent he was with on um, with Yoko. Um, you get uh, you know rocker John too with with Meat City and Tight Ass. So you just getting there's a lot there to to consume with this record. Um, like I said, you know, mind game's tight as, um, you know, one day at a time. I love the because the lines, you know, because I'm the fish and you're the sea, because I'm the mm-hmm. apple, you're the tree. Yeah, I, with that, you get a sense that he was really dependent on Yoko, for me anyways. That's what I read into it. Um, and, and he's losing her. And this, this is another thing about this album. You know, Ringo, I mean, not Ringo, but Yoko's stamp is all over this. And especially on the cover, you kind of see John walking away from him. From Yoko, and um, uh, you know, I know I know is another beautiful song. Where if you listen into uh, you know the background, you get a nice, nice country feel to that. Um, you are here again, you know, a, a Yoko connection with that. And if you listen to that on headphones, in especially this 2002 mix, the work from Spinoza and Sneaky Pete on that on that mix is absolutely beautiful, especially during the solo part of that song where they're just trading licks back and forth. Amazing. Which so, song? Which song? Um, you Are Here.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay.
4: You know, so, uh, and, and Meet City, I think, is a, just a great rocker, great way to end the album and, and, and fun. Um, Out of the Blue, uh, just a quick story. Um, my wife and I, we lived in Chicago at the time. We were on the beach. This was before we were married, and we are looking for our first dance song. So, you <laughs> know, I've played her a couple of songs, you know, and then Out of the Blue, no pun intended, I played her the song Out of the Blue, and she said, perfect. And I was just put a big smile on my face. So that song ended up being our first dance song at our wedding. So I'm, um, I'm Aww, never grateful sweet. for for that. But um, yeah, I, I find it hard to really find a lot wrong with this album. And um, I I think it's it, it's really good. I, I would probably put this, you know, in the middle of the road. I mean, obviously, imagine, you know, Plastic Ono Band, you have to put those one and two. But I can see this as a Rubber Soul Revolver type albums with this and, and um, uh, Walls and Bridges. Um, okay. So I would kind of almost put those two back to back, for sure.
2: So. Very good points. And I like the fact that, and we could bring this up occasionally on the show, that you know, how you start out listening to the Beatles or any artist, if you start out with a compilation, you know, the way that you view the album <laughs> later on when you hear it in its full context, could be very different. And yeah. not everybody has to listen in chronological order to someone's catalog. Well, I do
4: now, now and knowing what I know, whenever I discover a new artist, I have to start at the beginning. I have to get that, you know, that complete, I have to know exactly how it was for the first album, second and so on and so on. So, so from that, I mean, I've, I have become that for sure.
2: Okay. But uh, your impression of an artist's music can be very different. Just mm-hmm. like there, there are some fans who were brought up on the Beatles first on their solo music, Right to know that really well, and their impression of the group might be different. Exactly, you know, hundred percent. So,
1: well, and yeah. imagine right now, uh, and I—it's one of my favorite things to even think about—is that you know, during the course of this conversation, hundreds, perhaps more than a thousand. People across the world have discovered the Beatles for the very first time, and they've had that moment when they realize, Where has this music been all my life? Ubuju, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> it's this incredible moment of realization. And of course, we're simultaneously happy for them and a little jealous because we can't listen to them for the first time. But they're going to have exactly the issue you just described, Ken, where context is everything. You know, they discovered mm-hmm. the White Album first. Uh, as opposed to having this chronological experience, and I'm actually not saying that one is better than the other, um, but but context does matter.
2: Mm. But it, it's, it's kind of interesting, I, I sort of wish in a perfect world, when we're exposed to music for the first time, like in this case if it's the Beatles and their solo catalog, you wouldn't be exposed to the whole narrative of their history and to know how the world views this music and what their best work is. And you just go into it with an open mind, completely fresh, you know, without hearing, you know, the history and the backstory of certain albums, just go right into the music. What do you think of it? You know, it's hard to do that, but um, it would be nice if we Uh, all could listen to music that way.
4: Yeah, I would say, however, you know, going back and learning a lot of the backstories, for me, some of that has helped my appreciation on albums more, especially with an album like Wildlife, you know, you hear that story. And mm. for me, it, it, I've come to appreciate that more because I know the backstory.
2: Right. And
1: okay. I like Wildlife, so I, I will, I can't apologize for it. I like the the homespun, you yeah. know, organic kind Absolutely. of rock. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. but that context point is very important, you know, and, and that's what we've lost when we lose the idea of the album because in a world of Apple Music, for example, or platforms like Spotify, we're going right for the hits, right? And Mm -hmm. if you go to the listing and you look up, um, you know, any artist, pick the Beatles, (laughs) right? What are the first 20 songs gonna be? They're gonna be, you know, they're gonna be classics, right? And and what you lose then is that ability to kind of fall in love with a track here and there. You know, like Ken was saying. I mean, you, you lose hmm. that ability to just happen upon something. I mean, what you just said, actually, Tom, is fabulous, right? Your, what, your first dance was to a song that we would never have been able to pick. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I don't know if we, if we could we could poll the world, and it would be a long time before anybody came up with that. But look at what a special place that holds for you. That's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. And
0: the song is from
2: 1973. Their exactly. best year. <laughs> Kit, your thoughts about mind games?
0: Uh, well, you know, I, I mean, it's it's true that it's the same with me. I did not you know, get to listen to to John Lennon's albums in in chronological order. So, I mean, I was listening to them completely out of order. And, um, you know, I I came into this album just on the strength of of the song Mind Games. I mean, that Mm -hmm. was the first one I'd ever heard, uh, first song from it. And, uh, you know, at first listen, um, I, you know, this was not one of my my favorite uh, albums. I did not connect to this immediately. Um, But over the years, I've, I've, grown more appreciative of it and Tom is well Tom and Ken as you were talking about, for me the context did help me appreciate the album. you know as I learned more and more over time of you know where John was at this point in his life in 1973, I think for me anyway, that was crucial for me to be really understanding the album um, that in a way the fact that it, it is in a way, you know, inconsistent, I mean, that way that does reflect his life at the time. I mean, he, he was dealing with so much going on, you know, the fight to stay uh, in America, his marriage was was starting to come apart, um, you know, becoming disenchanted with, um, you know, the, the more radical politics he was uh, dealing with, dealing with the fallout of some, you know, sometime in New York City that, you know, was critically uh, savage. I mean, he was really, you know, Dealing with things from all different, so um, so in a way, it's not surprising that that he would be uh, you know have have these songs that are dealing with all different uh, kind of emotions. That being said, it's still I wouldn't rank it as my favorite. I I would probably agree with you know with with you Tom that and and maybe you too, can that it's sort of mid level. I mean I still. Um, you know, I'd still rank Imagine Plastic Ono Band um, and maybe even, you know, I'm, I'm a Walls and Bridges uh, big gal, you know, I, I love Walls and Bridges. So I'd still probably rank that above this. But uh, as I said, I've, I've really grown um, to like it. Intuition Uh, I think Mm. is a really uh, great song. Although I wish he uh, hadn't uh, buried uh, the uh, sax at the end, uh, you know, in the mix, Uh, Michael Brecker, you get Michael Brecker on sax and (laughs) and you bury it at the end. Oh no. But, uh, but yes, uh, you know, as you were saying, uh, Gordon Edwards, I mean, he's a star on this album. Wow. I mean, the bass on, yeah, I know. I know. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. I've always loved Meat City and Tight As. Um, I mean, they're just fun. I know that the lyrics aren't anything uh, deep, but, uh, but they're just, I love that kind of loose and, and messy kind of sound. It's just pure mm. rock. Um, absolutely love it. And the song Mind Games. I've, I've just always, it's kind of a sentimental favorite for me because it's, as I said, it's one of, maybe even one of the first John solo songs I heard um, on the radio. Um, you know, and, um, you know, uh, Out of the Blue uh i you know you mentioned that uh that is a beautiful song Uh,
4: i think it's one of the (laughs) best ballads of
0: all four i mean for me it's like a top five
4: ballad between all four of them
0: yeah i mean it's it's i think it's just as good as woman um you know Mm -hmm. i mean in in terms of sentiment i mean that is is just uh just gorgeous so there are some you know some real gems on here um and uh, and then there were just you know a few um one day at a time does not do it for me (laughs) that's that's probably the song I like the least on on here that just uh, maybe
2: maybe you weren't crazy about John's falsetto voice throughout the whole song maybe
0: that's part of it and the background singers um it's something
4: different I think they're called
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, something different. It, it, yes. It's it was something different. something different. It was something <laughs> different. And uh, that, that really didn't work for me. But of course, what could top the Newtopian International Anthem? I mean, nothing. It's flawed. It's That's nothing. what
3: I'm doing here. That's my performance tonight. I'm doing <laughs> National Anthem I anything for about an hour. I'm looking at the clock. I'm doing the
0: Tokyo National. There you that's your interpretation. But so overall, yes, it, it's it's not consi- you know, it has its you know, it has its flaws, it has its inconsistencies, but as I said, over time I've learned to appreciate it more and particularly as I said when you consider the context um and and the, the point where he was in his life. Um you know, I think it 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 uh, really uh, carries more meaning for me now. I, you know, I think I, I appreciate it much. Um, and his voice, he was in great voice too. And mm-hmm. I really good, really good vocals here on this album as well. Absolutely. Yeah,
3: well, okay. Thank you, Kit Joe. Well, I think a lot of this is going to be rehash until we get to Ken Michaels, probably. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Why would I think... you
2: think that? Come uh... <laughs>
3: well, on. I know how you feel, and I know, I know how you feel about the album. Um, for me, uh, it's an overlooked album. I think it gets lost in the shuffle. I've overlooked mm-hmm. it myself. I think that's because Plastic Ono Band, Imagine, it's, it's such great works, Superior, superior Works, arguably. Um, and also, I, I'm a fan-like kid of Walls and Bridges mm-hmm. a lot. So for me, it happens to fall, Mind Games does, number four uh, uh, of John's. Just, I, I consider it a kind of a mid-tier album as well. Uh, I don't think that it's really among his best overall. But um, I I wanted to mention, Tom brought up uh, the 2002 CD. Uh, When the 2002 CD was out and it was remixed, there were a a lot of people I'd heard anyway, you know, people I've spoken to on my channel who who watched uh, my talk about the album and stuff, said they came to appreciate the album more through that 2002 remix, some of them who were kind of lukewarm on it. And I think that's because John's voice was more upfront. Um, He always liked to bury his voice a lot. And, you know, he didn't like the sound of his voice. Always put those kind of effects on it. In a way, you could argue, well, that wasn't his intention, you know. But some Mm. people I've talked to actually liked it better that way. Uh, and I, I think it's a revelation I always recommend it if you say, if you're not really that wild about the mind games album give the 2002 CD a shot if you can find it you know uh, but talking about some of the songs the title track mind games loved it in 73 when I was a kid you know love it now uh, it's one of my all-time favorite John songs period of all time I always get a buzz a lot of a nostalgia too when I hear it yeah on Meet the you. radio. I just, I, I love that. And we talked a little about tight ass. I also like the dirtiness of it, you know, kind of risqueness of it mm-hmm. in a way, uh, another meaning to it, that kind of thing. And I love Dave Spinoza, the guitar on it. John always was talking about how uh, he was trying to do reggae on that, trying to teach musicians in 73 what reggae was, you know. So that's interesting. But a track that I uh, want to bring up that not many people really think much of is I'm going to try to say it, I assume sin, yep, which means I'm sorry in Japanese. You know, a slow track, you know, one of those uh, kind of s- just draggy, arguably, tracks. But it's so emotionally charged and, and touching an apology uh, to Yoko. I mean, you can hear and feel the sincere pleading in his, in his voice. Uh, I just think it, it, it it's fantastic from the gut. And at the end, we talk uh, about the guitar work here. Sure. Uh, uh assume Spinoza. It's like a gut-piercing solo at the end. I love that. Uh, elongated solo. I just I, That's my favorite part of the whole song is yeah. the ending of that song. Love the Back way the guitar sounds on there. I'm a fan of Bring On The Lucy as Ken Womack mentioned. Uh, it's a fun song. Political, uh, charged, uh, maybe a bit cliched by this particular time. Maybe he's, John's treading old familiar ground in a way. But hey, it, 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 it's a real riot. It's a good time. Uh, so it's one of my favorite songs on the album. And I want to mention something else about intuition, which I think Kit brought up first. Yeah. I, I like the upbeat, happy, jovial feel to it. Happy-go-lucky John, in a way. You know, yeah. Somebody once said... He sounds like a lounge singer. I remember I would talk to him (laughs) and say, hey, all right, at the beginning, hey, all right, you know. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, isn't it unusual for John, really, to be optimistic? Because he has lines in there that I love, such as, as I play the game of life, I try to make it better each and every day. Yeah. And stuff like, when I'm deep down and out and lose communication with nothing left to say, it's then I realize it's only a condition of seeing things that way. So different. In A way, he a lot of different hats
4: from John in this
3: album. Yeah, and, and John sure. himself said, you know, it lacks like a, a vision or you know no, no certain vision. You know, artists are sometimes their own worst critics, right? Putting their own oh, stuff yeah. down like oh, that. Oh,
0: you got mm. every but now and
3: John is
2: positive. You yeah, know, yeah, like, like, uh, yeah which um, is refreshing. They get up watching the wheels. You know, I tell. And and I'll, t- I'll the tell you a little. So, solutions. You know?
3: Yeah. Yeah, right. That was a, a very uh, positive line. Tell you a story uh, a little bit when John was taken from us on December 8th. I I don't know why, I just remember this so clearly. I didn't cry right away, maybe kind of shocked, you know, which we all were. I just remember looking at a Beatles calendar. I know what date it was. It was January 11th, of 81. I was playing my music and I played intuition. And that is what got me finally to release it the Mm -hmm. uh, emotions and the tears. And I think it was because, he, I don't know, maybe because he was just trying to sound so positive, make each each day the best you can and stuff, and look what happened. So that's kind of an association I have when I hear that song. Um, I don't know what to say about Out the Blue. Mm-hmm. I just want to you. say, to folks, yeah. I know Ken's thinking it. He's thinking Thank it, you for saying it blue. correctly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Not yeah, Out I, of I, I, the Blue. It's so awesome. That's a George song, isn't it? That's yep. true. From All it's Things true. Was Past. No, but it's, was I it, mean, it I'm it just... Metal. Being yep. a nitpicker with that, but uh, it's a gorgeous ballad. I love it. All my life has been a long, slow knife. Mm. I love that that line. You know, it's a good, good lyrics here. At Meat City, you know uh, another raunchy rocker. It's got that little bit of fun at the end, which uh, is you know, ramble words that oh, no, yeah. if you play it backwards, it's backwards, yes. yeah, doesn't mean it too nice. And then the single is different. Yeah, I think the single when you play it backwards is check the album at the, that little yeah. bit, and yeah. I'll bring up the fact that you know I, I've always hated as a lot of fans I'm sure do any release that's come out on CD always manages to chop off the mm. quiet words at the end where John says why are they doing those strange things right and somewhere along the line there's always something missing whether it's one word. <laughs> Or two words. I'm like, ah, you missed it again, you know? <laughs> just gets... you know, the same thing happened
2: with Ringo when um, Goodnight Vienna came out, and the No-No song was chopped
3: off at the end. Ringo's ad lib. Yeah, yeah, right. The ad lib at, <laughs> at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nobody's really talked about Only People. Uh, hmm, not one of the best tracks on the album, but I, I enjoy it. I, I especially like some of the Lost Lennon tape stuff. I've heard of that, too, by the way. Um, it was interesting. To have it more raw and primitive, without without a lot of the stuff added later. You know. So um, yeah, I just went on pr- speaking pretty highly of a lot of the songs. Yeah. The only reason for for me is I think it, it, it falls short of the other albums. That, you know that he's most famous for in his uh, solo career, the big ones. Imagine, Plastic uh, Gono Band, and so on. I do think it was a step up from Sometime in New York City, as, as Ken Womack said, um, although I do enjoy Sometime in New York City, too, for for what it is. Uh, but something just uh, misses a little bit. It's just, to me, a, mid, a mid-level album, although certainly not a bad album at all, and a darn good album, just not his best, in my opinion. hmm I find it
2: hard to understand how anyone could say it's a mid-level album, and yet you like almost every single song on it. <laughs>
3: well, no, it's,
4: so we, you you got to say that in the way, <laughs> in context, because you're asking us to rank it. So it, it, I'm only saying it in, in that context. I'm not saying that it's yeah. it's a bad or a mid-level no. album in, in an album sense. I'm just saying that because that's where you want us, you, want, you said to rank it. So I'm saying like, mm-hmm. it's mid-level as in, you know, not above Plastic Ono Band or Imagine, but but not below, um, you know, sometime in New York City either. So I, that's my definition of mid-level, is isn't a ranking yeah, style. That's all
3: yeah. I mean by it. I just mean, uh, on its own, fine, but uh, when sure. thinking about everything together, kind of middle of
1: Right. The and, and again, you know, <laughs> the beauty and the failure of our experiment with this show <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i don't mean this as a criticism it's just mm-hmm. a fact and it's a fact of of all of these wonderful records we'd get to talk about when you have an embarrassment of riches and <laughs> as tom just said you begin to try to make sense of them and write sure. them um you know there are some will Will rise to the top that never means right that we we can imagine a world or would want to imagine a world where any of these don't exist. Right. Right. I mean, uh, particularly when you're talking uh, About john and especially who is a confessional artist who typically uh, lays bare uh, some of his feelings in this very vexed time as everyone has pointed out already in his life. um, You know, you almost, you're going to get what he gives in <laughs> mm-hmm. that particular moment because that is what he's able to share. Right. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. the beauty and the pain of, of loving his music. Yeah, the one song on here that uh, is central to me in addition to some of the others we've talked about is You Are Here, but mm-hmm. not because yes. of this version. It's central to me because of, I'm sure you guys know about this. And if you don't, um, I urge you and our listeners to to do some sleuthing. Uh, there's that remix mashup record uh, called Everyday Chemistry, um, which is such a wonderful title, by the way. And it's all about solo Beatles being mashed together. And the reason it's interesting is because Everyday Chemistry is a mixno- misnomer, isn't it? There's no such thing as having everyday chemistry. The chemistry the Beatles had doesn't mm-hmm. happen every day. But but the best track for me on that, uh, and it's it's widely available um, on the internet, is called um, uh, "Over the Ocean," and it's from a line from "You Are Here," and mm-hmm. it is the most delicate, beautiful use of that lyric. The middle eight for the song is "I Dig Love." Yes, huh? Just oh, but interesting. Absolute, and they've merged McCartney and Lennon uh, the fellow who produced this counting down to start the song
2: mm. uh,
1: and it is just essential listening it is a beautiful beautiful work and it reminds us um, when I hear it and I, I sometimes play it over and over again I put it on repeat right because it just uh, it, it just makes me happy because you hear this beauty that's there roiling right Um uh, mm in their careers all the time and you bring it together and suddenly all those beautiful songs like i dig love and and uh you are here and and mccartney's heather right is his uh contribution mm. bingo's maybe some of back off boogaloo i think but it doesn't matter when you bring them all together they sort of transcend they're, they're more than the sum of their parts and i sure. i urge you and the listeners to check that out it's just beautiful
0: all right mm. i got
2: well, to that. me, the, the the beauty of mashups is how certain songs work well together Yeah, that, that most of our brains wouldn't think of putting together. You have <laughs> yeah. to have a mind for that. But I love the songs, you know, individually, mainly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my view of Mind Games is somewhat different from the four of yours because I think it's a consistently strong album throughout pretty much the whole thing. The only song I've ever had a problem with and it's only a slight problem is only people only people sounds a bit forced to me I mean there are certain songs that yeah. we like to categorize as slogan rock yeah like power to the people, even you know bring on the Lucy you know in, in a way um, only people tries to be a hit record you know it tries to be commercial it is commercial and it does work to some degree, but it just doesn't
3: I heard it as yes, a commercial not a, too long ago. Yeah,
2: that's actually true. It was, <laughs> it was totally. used in a commercial. Yeah. So, um, But I for some you. reason, it just... I hear you. Yeah. It doesn't work as well for me as the other songs that fall in that category. But um, yeah, this was a time and place in John's life where he noticed how Sometime in New York City didn't do very well. It was the biggest bomb, really, of all the solo albums. So he had to go in a different direction. And he also had his problems with immigration. So he wasn't gonna get super political at this time. So in a way he kind of reverted back to like Imagine Part Two. Some of the same formulas that were in Imagine are in Mind Games. But the songs themselves, which is what matters most of all to me, are strong. You know, Mind Games to me, the title track is one of the best singles that any of the Beatles put out in their solo careers. It's it's a great song. I love the production. Production doesn't mean as much to me as the quality of the song, but in this case, the production really enhanced the song. And it is kind of Phil Spector-ish. Oh,
1: yeah. Which and is it odd. All, for it sure. A build to it. it. It's magnificent in the way it kind of shimmers. Mm. This, uh, It's almost um, a Bolero-like tension that it has, because by the end of it, a lot of those sounds are coming together. Uh, it's Ooh, a yeah. very interesting... Interesting track.
2: It's kind of interesting that here he is moving away from Phil Spector, you know, and yeah. yet the title track is yeah. is in his style in a way. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah.
3: And yet they're yeah. not. done with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and that should have been a bigger hit. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah. Come on. Yes, it, it 18 was. Years in the Eighteen or something? Eighteen. Yeah, and oh,
2: um, I've also got to admit I'm a big sucker for love songs and ballads. And whereas John's had great love songs throughout all of his albums, really. Um, you've got more on this album that I think are really powerful. I mean, to me, Out the Blue, like we've said, is among the best of all of his love songs. And I'm glad to see that that song is getting the recognition over the years recently that I think it deserves. I Know, I Know is in the same category for me. You Are Here is beautiful. I love the whole sentiment of wherever you are, you're yeah. in my heart. Um, and I feel the same way about I See the sen. I seem to said. I'm glad you said what you did, Joe, about the guitar playing from David Spinoza. Yeah. He's one of the earliest interviews I've ever had in doing Beatles shows, and he did that guitar solo in one take. You know? What he brought to right. that song is kind of similar to what we discussed with Dave Gilmore brought to
0: hmm.
2: No More Lonely Nights. Lonely it nights, really right? makes the yeah. song shine. You know, it's I love ISUNSIN. It's a great slow bluesy number. I love John's voice to death on that. I do like One Day at a Time because of the lyrics that just flows like poetry. I'm kind of used to the fact that he sang it in falsetto. You know, how, that never happened before where it's all falsetto on a John song. And there is the version that's on the anthology, the John Lennon anthology, where he's singing it in his regular voice, too. I love Tight As, it's a great rocker, rockabillyish. ish Intuition, I think, might have worked as a single. You know, it does have commerciality to it. I'm not yeah. saying it would have been a number one hit, maybe not even top 10, but it would have kept the momentum going on the album. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say
4: that because I was just going to ask you after you're finished, you know, there was only one single for this album. Is there another hit on this album? But go ahead and finish, Ken.
2: Well, I mean, as much as I love Out the Blue and, and I think it's such a, an amazing song, I don't know if that would have worked chart-wise as a single. I, I probably hear Intuition as a single. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, Bring on the Lucy is a great track. You know, song per song, every song here really, I think, is extremely good. So, to me, it's not like, I automatically think Plastic on Band and Imagine are his best albums. I know John has said that. I know Plastic on Band is regarded artistically that way. I'm not always in the mood to listen to it because it's a rough album at times. Yeah. Um, True. Imagine definitely. is... Imagine is far more a commercial, an album. And, um, you know, I love Imagine. I've grown to love I Don't Want to Be a Soldier, Ken. Uh, Me too. Me too. Me three. (laughs) (laughs) For years, it was like the only song from John's (laughs) solo catalog that I didn't care for. And now I like it because of its looseness, Mm
3: -hmm. you know,
2: and, uh, you know, the spontaneity of it all. You don't really find that, you know, in John's solo music. So it's different in that uh, regard
1: you know you've said the word many times already the context of 1971 and that song which you know whether i care for it or not is very important you know the the, the world is torn over foreign wars right Mm. and the song has poignance you know whether you know and the same thing is true even though it is not effective, certainly not commercially effective. Sometime in New York City came from an authentic place. Right. Yep. You know, sure. it came from an authentic place. And I think that that's very important. And, you know, all of these records exist inside of this really, really beautiful tapestry, um, you know, that is more than the sum of its parts. For sure. Uh, well. and, you know, going back to the point earlier, I think I agree. Mind Game should have been a number one hit. But what a year. I mean, it was a tough year. The competition Mm -hmm. uh, in in the 1970s, or even when Double Fantasy comes out 40 years ago this fall, right, is enormous. You've got five or six genres going to war with each other. Mm -hmm. Disco, new wave, punk, you know. uh, Country, country crossover is becoming a thing. You know, uh, and, and here he is trying to do his... Standard sort of work. It it um, sounded vanilla to some critics at the time. That doesn't mean it's it is vanilla, but
3: both contemporary like that. perhaps. Yeah, it's <laughs> That's just what, what I like love
2: about that. the '70s so much is that musically yeah. it was all over the place. It
1: was. Uh, it was. I mean, I, uh, right. I mean, at one point, what the the Star Wars cantina theme.
2: <laughs> yeah
1: was uh, up at the top of the charts at, yeah. in the same, th- so uh, which I love, I love that mm. there was this rich world of music you know. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about
4: the competition but it, it's very impressive that they still managed to turn out four number one hits in that
2: year. Yeah, so, sure you know, it's, true.
4: it's still very impressive he's like,
0: yep out true. Yeah
2: so, but overall I think this is an excellent album and I often say it's my favorite of John's solo albums. And maybe it's because to some degree I tend to drift towards the lesser known stuff because it doesn't get played as much. Maybe. But I just think that consistently song per song with the possible exception of only people. I just love the songs on this album and I love the ballads a lot. I just think it's Mm -hmm. really strong. And I think it is the most underrated, the most overlooked of all of John's solo catalog. And one that everyone should spend more time paying attention to and giving it a chance if they haven't already
0: yeah I would definitely say it's an album that it's it's one of those that it takes more than one listen to get into I I would definitely say that it's one it's an album that you need to spend time with you know Uh, it certainly was the case for me
2: Well, for me, every album takes more than one listen to get into it. Well, of course, but I mean,
0: you know, it's not one that you might like. I mean, there are some albums I've listened to where I just immediately connect with them. I mean, Mm -hmm. just immediately, you know, I mean, like when Flowers in the Dirt first came out, I was like, this is great. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love this album. But (laughs) then there will be ones like this where I, yeah, it takes a while, you know, to to grow on me.
3: I'm still waiting for Driving Rain to connect.
0: Me too. (laughs) <laughs> me too. There's a good example. That one still hasn't connected with me, but most of them, they either connect with me instantly, or it, it takes a while. You know, it, 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 I have to kind of live with it for a while, and it grows on me. And this is one of those albums.
2: But you know, sometimes when you when it takes some time before an album connects, when it does connect, the rewards are just wonderful.
0: True.
1: Very so true. Why it is very textual, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, albums when they're created in the fashion of the ones that we're talking about right now, they're like reading, you know? you re- They pay dividends by rereading again. Mm. The finest books do. You'll see things that, or hear things in this case, that you hadn't heard before. A guitar solo, um, right. the way sure. he uses his voice. Um, right. Or, you know, when you start to study it, as um, you know, as all those new Beatles fans that have occurred tonight will one day do, um they will find new dividends and the fact that he was able to create anything at that point
0: that's for sure uh, good point in, good point
1: three yep. much less several you know keepers yep. Uh, yep. As, as it goes so um it is you know, amazing that uh, a few of these
4: individuals you know paul at certain times george at certain times john at certain t- times that they were you know they faced a lot of you know personal demons or whatnot and they were able to you know create not necessarily masterpieces but quality music and and that stems from the back of the Beatles days I mean look what they're going through in 69 you know and they were able to create uh you know Abbey Road right and it's that
1: interesting thanks for that Tom because it's that very interesting emergence of two things right incredible talent Mm -hmm. otherworldly talent you know um right uh my, my, I had, uh, my late friend, Dick Carum used to say that uh, when we talk about the Beatles, he'd say, I'm sick of hearing the line that the Beatles reshaped popular music. People haven't understood them yet, he used to <laughs> say. So, which I always thought was kind, of, was kind of smart. So they have incredible talent on the one hand, but the other part that, that really makes that emergent so special is drive, mm-hmm. right? John Lennon would have gotten a pass from anybody in 1973, at that point in his life, if he didn't put out another record, yeah. you know, For that, that wouldn't have been a problem. But he was driven to do it. And yep. that and it's that drive that makes them fo- so fascinating because they worked so hard. Walter Everett in one of his great Beatles musician books charts out one year. And it's 1967, I think I may be misremembering this. Um, but and they're not even touring anymore at that point. The sheer amount of work they were doing every day mm-hmm. is staggering and it's such a great lesson for anybody who wants to look to them uh, for you know, powerful life-affirming aspects, there it is. Amazing talent and saying, damn it, I'm gonna do something with it. Uh, yeah. they, they were just such a splendid uh, emergence of those
2: things. And the beauty of it all is that the well never ran dry. They still kept putting out great stuff.
0: Incredible, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> all right, um, I guess that'll wrap things up for our conversation about Bond games. Why don't we uh, each give our fans uh, our contact information and let them know what we're all doing? Uh, we'll start with you, Joe.
3: Um, you can go over to my YouTube channel, Mean Mr. Mayo, and watch my Beatles-related videos and other stuff. And that's me, done in. Lickety-split fashions. <laughs>
0: well, you have a new video. Uh, you have a new video up, which I haven't had a chance to see Yeah, congratulations. About new Beatles for, finds.
4: Yeah.
3: Congratulations finding the, uh, the letter B box. Set. Yeah. Second time I got it, <laughs> I explained it in the video.
2: Okay. Yeah. Very good. Tom? Yeah. Well, you
4: know, Ken, once, as you once said, you know, once you get started, it's never going to stop. And my wife will agree with you on that because it's never stopping two legs and and talk more talk are are going nonstop Um, real quick uh, two legs. Our last two shows we interviewed uh, Ian Peel for the unknown Paul McCartney, which was a finest fascinating interview. And um, last week we had our uh, Dan Ely on. Now if you don't know who Dan Ely is in 1974, He got to penetrate the Paul McCartney and Wings camp while they were staying at Junior Putman's farm. Got to stay there for three weeks, got to witness and record lots of material, amazing stories. He befriended Jeff Britton. befriended Denny Lane. Amazing stories throughout that whole interview. So check that out. Myself, Andy Nichols. You can find us on YouTube channel at Paul McCartney, or I'm sorry, Two Legs at Paul McCartney podcast. Please check that out. Please subscribe and uh, Podbean, iTunes, iHeartRadio, all that stuff. So yeah, a lot going on. A lot of interesting shows coming up, and our One Hunter show is coming up real soon too. So
3: hey, will out. I be? Will I be the 100th show when I appearing on it?
4: No, you'll be four. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's 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 going to do an off the ground show with us here pretty soon, and I'm looking forward to that.
2: Great. Okay, I'm going to need to stop doing my beetle work so I can have time to watch all of Tom's shows on two legs. There's so many that I want to, that I want to watch. You know, he's got great discussions there and so many interesting topics. But, uh, you know, you know, the guy who was there during the juniors forum sessions, you know, uh, yeah. it's, like,
1: <laughs> we'll it's amazing.
2: Great. All right, Ken, how about you?
1: Um, I have a new book coming out called John Lynn in 1980, The Last Days in the Life. I'm really proud of it and uh, has some previously unpublished photographs, but uh, more importantly, it really puts that that great comeback uh, into a a new kind of context. Um, One that isn't about a guy being assassinated, but a guy finding himself, as I think we want for all of ourselves and our families, in the nick of time, right? Mm. Um, and it's uh, it it's, it was very it was a powerful experience to to spend some really close days reading and thinking about that period.
2: Yeah, so, and that's coming out around John's birthday.
1: Uh, it will be out in the United States on September fifteenth, and in the UK on October eighth. Okay. okay, I will I be forward to That it.
3: very much, Ken. Okay
0: yeah, I, th- I think we'll be talking about that, that on this show. I think that's a pretty safe <laughs> there's, there's bet.
2: A, there's a chance.
0: <laughs> I think, it's looking good. I think we're going to be able to book an interview uh, with the author. I, I think that's a safe bet. <laughs> I think,
1: you know, I didn't fully answer your question, Ken. So on a personal level, um, I've also started a really serious weightlifting routine with the Flaming Pie box set. And, <laughs> okay. Um, while it is, you know, as people, people have noted the price tag, you know, getting yourself in good physical shape with anaerobic exercise is priceless. So, me, okay. Can
4: I ask you a real cool. quick question, Ken? Um, the, the box set that you, that you showed earlier. In your mind, is it worth the cost? Um,
1: I don't, I, that's a tough question. And that is a very, as, as we just discussed, our individual experiences with mind games. It's an individual choice. You know, Mm -hmm. it is beautifully rendered. Um, I I love having access to all of those demos and outtakes, et cetera. Um, But, you know, it depends on on your interest in uh, it. It's wonderful for collectors. Certainly, Mm. uh, it is absolutely beautifully um, wrought. It's it's something to behold. If you enjoy the artistry of the making of those kinds of projects and products and celebrating them in that way, and I think Flaming Pie deserves to be celebrated, um, you know, then it's probably a good choice for you. But if you're a person who likes to live in a sort of Thoreauvian place where you're very simplified, you know, and all you've got is your pack on your back and all your MP3s in your computer, um, you. then it's not, you know, it, it won't do anything for you. Um, but uh, it is a beautiful thing. Thank you.
2: Mm. We'll talk more about Flaming Pie.
0: Hopefully, next episode. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) A beautiful thing that will help you with good anaerobic exercise.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Paul thought about that ahead of time where you were concerned, Mm -hmm. Ken. He was thinking of you.
1: That's a man who has taken hold of his health over the years. That's true.
2: As has Ringo. Okay. (laughs) Kid.
0: Uh, well, you uh, you can uh, check out uh, good friends of our show uh, when they was fab uh, Ed Chen and Lonnie Pena. Both uh, episodes of a show that I appeared on where we talked about Ringo's big birthday show. They're both up. Uh, we had a lot of fun uh, going through the, uh, the you know how what great fun that show was and some of the more interesting moments and and so forth so you can find that on uh, my facebook page uh i did my monthly show uh since we were last on and that's also on my facebook page uh my my monthly live show that's up there um and uh also i am going to be um well tomorrow as you're watching this but uh, if you're listening to this or watching the replay you'll be able to find it on my facebook page i'll be back on plastic ep show our pal from australia i just found this out before we went on air uh it'll be uh tomorrow july 28th at 6 p.m eastern it's live I never know what the heck's going to happen when I'm on that show. So tune in and find out. Usually a lot of just fun, beetle conversation and always a good time. And before I forget... Uh, if you want to reach us here at Talk More Talk, you can email us at uh, talkmoresolotalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Talk More, uh, Talk More Talk 1. Of course, you can find us on our Facebook page, and uh, you can uh, find us on our YouTube page. Please subscribe. Um, and you can find us, if you just want to listen to the audio version, you can find us on Podbean and virtually any other uh, podcasting platform. You can. Th- of iTunes, Pot, um, uh, Spotify, um, you name it. So uh, for iHeartRadio, everything. So please tell your friends, <laughs> tell your neighbors, tell everybody you know, and subscribe to us. And as always, we appreciate all your support and please send us ideas of uh, topics you would like to see on future shows.
4: Oh, definitely. And we, we appreciate everything you do for the show, Kit.
0: Oh, thank you. Even even with the glitches Dog tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
2: all hail the queen.
0: Oh, yes. thank you, thank you, gentlemen, thank you.
2: And by the way, Plastic EP for anyone that doesn't know, I think this guy does not sleep. Nope. He is on Facebook Live twenty four hours a day interviewing people. He's incredible. He's he fine. has it's the most amazing energy. I did a show with him. We we all have, I think. I th- maybe not Ken. Maybe. Have you,
0: no. oh. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. you have to. You have okay, to. Well, yeah. You guys have to. I hear a
3: lot about, things. I I'll
4: to be making an, an announcement on the next show about guesting on, on shows, but that's for another, that's next time.
0: So. Oh, okay. okay. All right.
2: Um, as for me, I did an interview recently with Sam Wiles for his Paul McCartney solo podcast called Paul or Nothing, and we were discussing flowers in the dirt. That, uh, that show is now up on the Podbean website just uh type in paul or nothing it's the name of the show and uh had a great time with him he's he's hilarious sam he has a very unique sense of humor you got to have that british sense of humor in your show got to mix that in every now and then um also i did a couple of interviews i think i discussed this on our last show with dave morrell Dave uh, is a Beatles fan extraordinaire, a big collector who spent his career as a promo man at different record companies. And in the 80s, he worked for Capitol Records. What a dream, a Beatle fan to work at Capitol Records and to promote Paul's records and John's records. We did a show here on Menlove Avenue. He was responsible. To promote Menlove Avenue. So it's covered in his book, his latest book called Run Out Groove Inside Capitals, 1980s Hits and Stiffs. He's put out his autobiography in volumes. This is the last of them, volume four. And it's all about what he went through in the 80s. So I did an interview with him for myself for my website at KenMichaelsRadio.com on my interviews page four page and also on my other podcast show, Things We Said Today. And even though it's two interviews with the same guy, it's a lot of different questions in both interviews. If you want to hear more about Press to Play and Flowers in the Dirt and the Beatles albums of the 80s, like um, Real Music and Rarities and 20 Greatest Hits, we go into that and a lot of talk about just what it's like to work with radio, you know, from a radio person like myself, talking to a guy that worked with radio stations all the time throughout his entire career. And it's a lot of fun talking with Dave. Speaking of uh, things we said today, uh, the most recent show was with Dave Morrell. It's on our Podbean site, the Podbean page, and it's also on YouTube. We're recording a show Wednesday, which will probably go up Thursday, a brand new show. And on my website, kenmichaelsradio.com, on my Beatles trivia and games page, I mentioned this last time, now I have it to show you, An Accidental Studio. Yay. That's the new documentary on George Harrison's Handmade Films. I I just got the email from Amazon
4: saying they just shipped it. So looking forward to it.
0: Oh, I can't wait.
2: And I've got the Blu-ray to give away on my website, as well as the movie That'll Be the Day with David Essex and Ringo. And uh, the ebook of Eight Days a Week from Chip Mattinger and Mark Easter, who, like I said, we hope to have fairly soon coming back uh, to our show. Again, right.
4: And talking about workouts, not as big as, uh, you know, Ken's box, set, but uh, it's, this is still a workout as well. Yes, it is.
2: <laughs> Ken's feeling weaker, just lift up that book. Right. <laughs> Baby steps. Start with Eight Days a Week, work your way up yes. to Flaming Pie. There you go. All right. So this has been great talking about mind games and all that's going on in the news. And uh we want to thank all of you for watching tonight. Listen to this button, very nice. (laughs) Thank you, Joe. Very
0: nice. And uh
2: yeah. (laughs) Thanks to all of you for watching and also for putting up with our little problem at the very beginning of the broadcast. We hope that doesn't happen again. But hey,
0: it's
2: live live. (laughs) baby. It's live, baby. That's what comes with the territory.
0: Yep. (laughs) So
2: for Kiddo Tool, Joe Mayo, Ken Womack, and Tom Hunyadi, This is Ken Michaels thanking all of you for watching. And remember, wherever you are, you are here. (laughs) Have a good night.
0: Bye everybody. Bye. Talk.